If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. Tonight's show is about some of the most important and vulnerable members of our community, queer youth. Who are more likely to attempt suicide. Statistically, That's a rough one. It is. (laughs) They're more likely to be bullied and abused than their straight counterparts. They're particularly vulnerable. See, that's my word. Vulnerable to homelessness, alcohol and drug abuse, and mental health difficulties. For this reason, it's really important that we do better by queer teenagers. We need to learn to support them so that they receive validation and counsel and celebration. Yay! And tonight we'll talk with Madden Ray Lopez, the founder of Project Q, and Abby Land, the executive director of the Trevor Project, about what they are doing and what you need to do. Also, Steve Pride talks to Adam Garnett Jones, the writer and director of Fire Song, a new film about a two-spirited Native American teen. And you'll have a chance to win your very own DVD copy of Fire Song. But first, the national and international news from This Way Out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Michelle Marie Gilkison. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news interaffecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending November 19, 2016. Israel's chief rabbi, Shlomo Amar, told the newspaper Israel Hayom this week that Jewish law requires what he called the cult of abomination, homosexuality, to be punished by execution. He described same-gender sexual attraction as a lust, as with any other kind of lust, that could and should be resisted. Rabbi Amar is the leader of the Sephardic Jewish community in Jerusalem, for which he receives an Israeli government paycheck. He previously called the Holy City's annual LGBT Pride Parade an embarrassing phenomenon and condemned the parade's desecration of God's name in Jerusalem. Several members of Parliament have written to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to complain about the rabbi's most recent comments. Three wrote a joint letter demanding that a public figure that puts Israeli citizens' life at risk using incitement and exclusion should be immediately fired. Opposition Meretz party leader Zahava Galon wrote on her Facebook page that Rabbi Amar can cover himself in the Torah as much as he wants, but we hear his darkness, not the Torah. The time has come to stop paying for his salary. The BBC reported that Israeli LGBT activist Shirley Kleinman has filed a formal complaint with the police, accusing Rabbi Amar of incitement to murder. As she wrote on her Facebook page, let's try and ensure that this man will not remain in his key public position. Israel Hayom itself reported that another complaint charging incitement has been filed by Oded Fried, formerly the head of the nation's leading LGBT advocacy group, Agudah. 
I call on law enforcement and elected officials who hold the power to act without delay, he told the newspaper, to prosecute to the full extent of the law anyone who calls for harming people on the basis of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Two men were each given three-month prison sentences for public indecency in the Ivory Coast earlier this month. Gay sex is not against the law in the West African nation, but public indecency is. Despite its reputation as a relatively tolerant place in Africa for LGBT people, homophobia runs deep in the country's culture. Several gay men were reportedly attacked and forced to flee their homes in June after U.S. embassy pictures circulated in social media showing them signing a condolence book for the 49 people killed in Orlando's LGBT Pulse nightclub massacre. Amab ransacked the Abidjan headquarters of Alternative Côte d'Ivoire, a leading national LGBT rights organization, in January 2014. Frank Amani, advocacy director for Espace Confiance, a group that provides health services to sexual minorities, told the Associated Press this week that it's the first known case of gay men being prosecuted under the country's public indecency statutes. He said the two men, aged 31 and 19, denied having a sexual relationship. We are revolted by what is happening, Amani said, and by the judgment that was given. A Turkish LGBT rights activist and lawyer was arrested this week in Istanbul, along with other members of his HDP political party, as part of an ongoing crackdown on dissent by President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Levant Pishkin was arrested at his apartment in the early morning hours of November 14th, soon after he visited the imprisoned leader of his pro-Kurdish HDP, who was jailed last week. The HGP is the only major political party in Turkey with pro-LGBT policies. Some of Pishkin's belongings were also confiscated, including his computer and phone. Over the past few years, according to a report in the English-language Armenian Mirror Spectator, the high-profile human rights activist and attorney has suffered constant harassment. A bomb attributed to Turkish nationalists recently went off in his garden. President Erdogan sued him in March 2014 for insult, slander, or heavy provocation of a public official for their public service, for which he was fined the equivalent of 3700 U.S. dollars. The Observatory for the Protection of Human Rights Defenders, a partnership of international rights groups Pishkin has represented, announced on November 16th that he'd been provisionally released pending the end of the investigation. He has yet to be charged with a crime. In other news, organizers of the annual Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade have let it be known that Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull is no longer welcome. He became the first sitting Australian PM to attend the parade earlier this year, though he didn't march in it, but he won't be invited back in 2017. The disinvitation was approved this week at the annual general meeting of the Mardi Gras Board via a motion offered by Cat Rose of Community Action Against Homophobia. LGBT activists have condemned both Turnbull's failed marriage equality plebiscite and his gutting of the queer support of Australian Safe Schools program. He announced soon after the plebiscite proposal failed in Parliament that his governing coalition has no plans to address the issue of marriage equality, at least in the near future. We wanted to express our disgust at his prime ministership as a community, Rose said, and to say that we don't need his phony friendship. The official motion reads, The annual general meeting of Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras does not believe that a prime minister who denies us equality should be welcome as an official guest at our parade. Twitter has been percolating with both pro and con reactions. Some thank the board, while others call the declaration counterproductive, petty, or small-minded. The Guardian newspaper noted that the vote was non-binding. And finally, Boston-based True Colors Out Youth Theater, the nation's longest-running queer youth theater group, received the National Arts and Humanities Youth Program Award this week from First Lady Michelle Obama. As The Advocate reported, 
It was one of 12 honorees and the first LGBT organization to be so honored. Abe Rybeck is executive artistic director of Theater Offensive, founded in 1989, which created True Colors, not connected with Cindy Lauper's charity of the same name, in 1994. Rybeck told the news magazine that, When we started doing this, using the words queer theater company and youth in the same sentence made people bristle. Now we have a chance to get a hug from a first lady who has done more for our community than any other first lady. It's hard to imagine, he added, what the White House atmosphere will be like for the groups that win this award next year. That's News Wrap for the week ending November 19th, 2016. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Michelle Marie Gilkison. And I'm Wenzel Jones. Remember, you can hear all 30 commercial minutes. <laughs> what is going on with us today, I don't Wenzel? know. I don't know. You can hear all 30 commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org and on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And sitting right in front of us as I speak is Black Latino queer stylist philanthropist Madden Ray Lopez, <laughs> who was profiled in the MTV documentary Transformation, which just debuted on MTV a few days ago. Madden is the founder of Project Q and joins us in studio to tell us about their nonprofit and the kids they serve. Welcome, Madden. And hi. And for folks that are new to non-gender specific pronouns, we talked a little bit about what you like to be called, and your answer was? They, them, and their. They, them, and their. But you said something that I'd never really heard um, about talking about it. I said, well, do you use that in the plural? Do you say they is? No, you say that they are. And you said that because you embody two people. Is that true? Is that that accurate way? That is how I feel about it. Also, the singular they Mm -hmm. in uh, vernacular was the word of the year last year in Webster's. So I know that a lot of people have a problem and feel like it's not grammatically correct. Let me tell you it is. <laughs> well, I can guarantee we're going to mess it up, but I'm, I'm going to sit here and try to view you as a collective. Thank you. And well. I can guarantee you we're going to try it. But this is, I mean, <laughs> this is part of the process is that you don't always get it right, but you got to try. Right. So Project Q, explain. Explain. Well, um, there, uh, there are just a slew of folks out there that have kids that come out of the closet to them and those parents of those kids don't always love what they hear from their youth. And so they get kicked out of their homes and they don't really have a place to go. Project Q is there to cut hair for those youth, especially those of color. And you go to the homeless shelter? Mm -hmm. I go down to the LGBT Center on Highland, YCH, there uh, twice to three times a month. But your day job is also cutting hair. So you're cutting hair pretty much from sunup to sundown. Yeah. <laughs> I do that an awful, awful lot. But it's it's what I have. It's the only talent that I really feel that I have. I'm sure that I have others, but this is the one that I've been fostering for so long. So. And what inspired you to share your day job skills with homeless youth? Um, I mean, because you're so young. It's like, usually I'm, this I is a am. middle-aged thing to do. I mean, I've been doing hair for 13 years. And um, in 2012, I was at the Queer People of Color Conference in CSUN. And I was trying to think of all of the things that I wanted to offer these youth from around the globe. And I just decided to do haircuts. And I realized that that was the only thing that I ever wanted to do ever again was do haircuts for youth that needed to feel confident in their bodies. What? I'm sorry. 
Oh, uh, just for people who think, ah, haircuts, you know, you know, this isn't bombing in, you know, some foreign country. It's haircuts. What's the big deal about haircuts? What does it mean to you? To me, it's it's everything. I mean, you even talked about not feeling comfortable because your hair wasn't cut, you know? Yeah, like, I know. It's, it's, it's a mess. It's, it's a really interesting thing about just liking who you see in the mirror. And, like, the physical aspect of that is what the first thing that we that we actually take in. You know, everything else about who we see in the mirror can kind of change if we just like the physical part first. But, but a lot of what you do has to do with transgender youth mm-hmm. who who want to project themselves as a female or a male, but that's not really what they look like right now because they can't afford... Or none afford, of the above. Or none of the above. Thank you. Whatever they, I know, <laughs> what, whatever they choose to present as. Um, but it takes work. Mm-hmm. And you offer them the magical key to this. And, and it's... Uh, in, in the documentary, it's very, it's almost magical to see these people transformed. Hence the name of the documentary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Duly named. I know. Um, well, I think that a lot of it just comes down to actually listening to them and how they feel that day. Uh, you know, as it explains in the documentary, it's not like one, it's not this um, end goal. You know, like everything about life is about the destination or about the, the journey. And so... Sometimes folks feel femi and sometimes they feel mask. And sometimes people have one person in particular at the center that will say things like, you know, they wanted a haircut that would make them look like Miley or like Justin Bieber. She wanted both, you know, on any given day. And I feel like that was such a a strong representation of how it feels to be genderqueer. Like someday I wake up and I don't like all of the things that make me look feminine. And sometimes I want to be more femme. Like it's, it really is about every single day. In your personal experience, what did hair mean for you in your process of coming out to yourself? Hair, it was an interesting thing. I always, there, there's a thing within the black community where, you know, you have, it's like called the brown paper bag, where you have to look your skin has to be lighter than a brown paper bag and your hair should be longer than one. And so that means that you're constantly straightening it and trying to fit into this box of, you know, being palatable for the people around you. And so not straightening my hair was a big deal first. Having it big and wild was something that was really important for me. And then shaving it off as well was like coming out to myself again as in saying like, this is my hair, this is my body. I can do what I like, and every keeping it clean makes me feel good about myself. Well, and in the in the documentary, you all, you also have a person there doing makeup. Now, are they always there, or was that no, a special thing? No, that was specifically for, the... for that. That was Satine. Yes, she's pretty amazing, and she was able to be there with the youth that day. Yeah, but it was just for the documentary. Yes, oh, she's I see. not with me all the time. <laughs> but okay. there are certain days that we do beauty days at the center, and like right. they invite all kinds of different people, but. When it's just me at the center, it's yeah. usually me and Coral, which is the person that works that works alongside me. Because because I was wondering, I thought these these people are getting their ama- amazing makeover, and, and did, you, did you have to set them aside and say, "Okay, pumpkin, this took two professionals. Don't expect to do this at home." <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, some of those folks, you Only know, are already stylists because mm-hmm. they're already stylish people, mm-hmm. and then some of them have come to my salon afterward. Actually, a lot of them have come to my salon afterwards or told me that they want to come in so that they can keep up that aesthetic. Aside so. from just people getting that that confidence boost and that identity boost of looking good or looking how they feel, mm-hmm. what other kinds of things have you seen come out of this experience of people that you work with? 
Um, honestly, it, it allows other people around them to feel more comfortable. It makes them look and say, well, you're just doing whatever you want to do. So I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do. And I'm not going to sit here and sit in this binary place that everybody wants to shove me into. And that's really the best part about being yourself is that you're shining a light on everybody around you, too. It's attractive and and gorgeous. (laughs) And and a lot of what you do seems to be geared toward taking these, uh, the homeless youth and making them presentable for the job market to make Mm -hmm. them look more professional. Um, Can you discuss that? Because it seemed to be a a large part of of what these people were looking for. Absolutely. I mean, a a lot of the times, if you see someone on the streets and they're looking unkempt, you're not going to want to look them in the eye, much less offer them a job. Um, And not, not just about them looking presentable, but staying looking presentable. So that's why being there every two weeks is very important. Um, one of my youth was able to get a job, which is great, and we've been cutting his hair for a while, but at the same time, now his job doesn't allow him to come in and get a haircut anymore. And so he doesn't get that consistency of staying looking nice. And so I think that it really is about, but now he knows that he needs to. Yeah. Now he knows that that's important. And is there a clothing aspect to this too? Because I know when you go, when you go job hunting, clothes are everything. Right. Well, when we when we throw events, there are clothing. We we provide clothing, and we provide a lot of different things. Haircutting is just one of the things that we provide for the youth. Um, we also provide guided meditation, uh, painting classes, um, uh, guitar lessons. You know, at different events that we throw, usually on days where it's difficult to not be around your family, like Mother's Day or Thanksgiving. We just had a Thanksgiving event where we made you know. We made posters for them to go and march on the streets because they are angry right now. Well, we're all angry right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things that I was really struck by in the documentary is, I mean, and this is not a surprise. It was just something I was thinking about that I think for someone who is not experienced with a lot of queer people, gender queer people, when they think of trans people, mm-hmm. um, they think of you're, you fit into the boy box, you fit into the girl box. You know, so if you are a trans man, then you're going to go for the full on butch or, you know, lumberjack. the lumberjack kind of thing or wh- whatever. What I thought was lovely in that documentary is that you weren't doing that. Mm-mm. You were just like and, and there was and I, somebody else, one of the people that you worked with, um, was saying, my penis is female. Yes, she did. I thought that was the most (laughs) beautiful line. I thought, well, that sums it up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I love the fact that that – you weren't you weren't kind of going all right. So you know you are um, you are a boy. All right, we're gonna make you a boy. Mm-hmm. You were just like, what is a boy to you? Mm-hmm. And and sometimes that was like glitter and hairspray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that? Do you find that to be so? I mean, is that kind of typical of your clients? Is nothing that, is typical. There's nothing typical, and that's okay. that's the thing. You know, even as as a hairstylist in general, you know, we have the the saying of a cookie cutter hairstylist, the person that gives every boy this haircut and every girl this haircut. And I think I do the exact opposite of that, where it's just like, what do you want? And it's a, it's a processing thing. I, I you know, I always call our first time together. It's our first date, and I tell them we're gonna you know pour the wine and put on some very white. And we're going to figure out what it is that you feel like today and how we can make that visible for everyone else. Do you ever get surprised? Never. <laughs> now, something I noticed, and this is probably generational, but when I would have expected them to look in the mirror and go, oh, this is the person I've always been, the response was more often than not, I look like a celebrity. I feel like mm. a star. Is that because... This culture is so celebrity saturated, or this culture meaning where did you grow up? Modern I mean, our, young youth, yeah, just youth today. Yeah. I mean, everybody. I mean, where, where did you grow up, though? 
Oh, I grew up many years ago on military bases overseas. L.A. <laughs> L.A. is just yeah. very, you know, it's it's that's L.A. Our models. It's, yeah. it's, that's what we do. Everybody wants to, you know, be the next something, and right. so I think that they are they are saturated yeah. in that. What is your like? You're doing this. You're doing this amazing work. What do you want to do next? Like, where would you like to see this going? Well, my trailer, which I purchased about three years ago, and we're building out, and that's why we are raising money right now to um, build that out. Uh, The plan is to take it up to the coast next Pride season. So I want to hit all of the Prides and be able to work at all of the different shelters at the LGBT centers across our coast. And so this is important to me because I just want to make sure – like there. Trust me, the country is next because there's many people, many little queer people in many non-queer spaces and that are feeling really unsafe right now. And I just want to get there. Have you seen clients since the election? Yes. And are you noticing a shift? Yes. What are you noticing? No one's not crying. Mm. And what are they saying? (sighs) Everyone's terrified. Everyone's terrified. I mean, I'm terrified that my rights will get taken away, that um, they're going to implement uh, some reparative therapy on every single queer person here and make me tell me that I've never loved my wife. That's my fear. And what are you saying in response to that? That. Okay. (laughs) It started with an F. (laughs) (laughs) But you got the gist. Yeah. Do you think style is political? Absolutely. I'm going to be bigger and louder and queerer and gayer. My shirt right now says gender is a drag and the other one underneath it says... The future is female. I can guarantee it. We're looking at it right now. I have a pen that says intersectional. <laughs> I mean, if you don't know what I am and I don't tell you and you don't ask, just look at my shirt. Oh, that's a good <laughs> way you of know. doing things. Well, now I, I noticed your last name isn't Hearst. How are you funding all of this? Because you're doing so much and getting no income from it. Right. I mean, I've done one fundraiser a month this entire year. Um, while shooting for this documentary and um, grant writing like a crazy person. I got the CDEF grant from the California Educational Development Fund grant this year, um, which really helped to expedite the work on the, on the Beast, which is the name of the trailer, nice. the, the Hairstream Beast. About how much do you think it's going to take to transform the Beast? A lot of money. A lot. We're looking in the... In the a lot of money. Six are, digits? Are you? Yeah. No, not, not that deep. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> are you a non-registered nonprofit? I am. So this might be the time. If people are interested in finding out more about what you're doing or helping out, mm-hmm. um, first of all, it, what kinds of things are you looking for aside from the obvious cash makes mm-hmm. things go around? Um, and where can people find, find you? Well, if you go to projectq.me, there is a donate button there. And um, it just sends you directly to our um, the place where we receive funding. And then if you actually take out your cell phones right now, which you probably have unless you're in the car, and please don't do that. This is, by the way, being Facebook lived. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we're waving at the camera. Five six five one two is the number that you want to text, and you want to put in that Project Q space the amount you would like to donate space and your name. Once again, that's 56512 is the number that you want to text. And we should probably explain that the Beast is not just a trailer trailer for you to live in. You're going no, to it's, it's, work it's, in. It's, it's a beauty shop on wheels, basically. It's a beauty shop on wheels in the making. We've redone the floors. We've redone the tires. We've redone the windows. We've, redone, we've done the insulation. We're working on the plumbing. We're doing everything right now to make this dream come alive. And it had seven layers of paint on it. I don't know why, but 
we're we're working it out. And for folks that would like to see you as a client, uh-huh. where can they find you? Folklore Salon, the queerest salon in Los Angeles. <laughs> where is it? It's an Echo Park, 1102 Mohawk <laughs> Street. You can call 213-483-8435 to make an appointment. And are there any words of inspiration you'd like to leave us with? Because once again, we've got a fascinating person and we're out of time. Yeah. Mm. I just have to say, y'all, we done come out already. There's no reason that we need to be shoved back in ever. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming to see us and tell us all about Project Q. And again, if you want to donate, go to projectq.me. And thank you, Madden Ray Lopez. Please keep it up. Please come back. Awesome. We'd like to see what you're doing. Let us know. I know when the beast is finished and all tricked out. We want to go on a ride and get a pretty haircut. (laughs) Yeah, I want a haircut. So a film dealing with young people, Native American issues, and coming out that has been on the Film Fest circuit this year is finally available on DVD and VOD. Steve Pride reports. Indian, Native, First Nation, Aboriginal, Gay, Bisexual, Two-Spirited. These are all labels that attempt to define something too complex to be quantified. And Fire Song, a moving first feature from filmmaker Adam Garrett Jones, works because it avoids cliches and presents a nuanced, sensitive portrait of young people at a crossroads. My name is Adam Garnett Jones, and I am the writer and director of Fire Song. And what's Fire Song about? Fire Song is about a closeted 17 year old queer Aboriginal kid living in far northern Ontario who has a lot of academic promise and he's hoping to kind of leave his community and escape with his secret boyfriend and start this new life in the city. And just before the film starts, his younger sister commits suicide and that completely changes his life and his plans and he suddenly has a lot of responsibilities at home and taking care of his mother and also trying to deal with his own grief in the wake of that. So the film is really about this push and pull between needing to be in his home community, but also really needing to escape and chase his dreams and figure out who he is as a young queer person and how he manages to handle both of those things at the same time. I was thinking maybe you could come with me. There's a native center and there's a gay street and there's... Why do you even want to go there? For school. But really though? I know how things will go if I stay here. I just want to go where I can be with you, you know? Manukamis and the elders have been teaching me a lot. So? So they say that I can make change, do good. They say that to everyone. They tell me that all the time. Think they're going to let some fag teach them the culture? What inspired this? The inspiration for the film is kind of tricky. It didn't really come from one specific place. I had a really hard time in high school, and nobody knew it. But from about the age of six or seven years old and into my teen years, I was really suicidal. And as I got older and kind of miraculously came through high school and started getting involved with filmmaking and mentoring youth and that kind of thing, and just talking to other queer people and other Aboriginal people, I started learning how common that experience was, this common of uh, common experience of suicidality. And it breaks my heart. And so when I started to think about making my first feature film, that experience of loneliness and isolation and suicide felt like a natural place to go for me because it was such an intense 
personal experience, but also because it's something that I keep seeing in our communities happening over and over and over again. Tell me about your heritage. My family is Cree and Métis. My family line, a uh, very, very long time ago, comes from a community just outside of Montreal called Ganawage. And I have ancestors that came from there and settled in the prairies, which is like kind of the, the Canadian Midwest, and got involved with Cree people there and Métis people. And so it became a kind of like a Cree and Métis community just outside of Edmonton. I have this very, in some ways, rootless, mixed Indigenous heritage that feels very true to who I am now because I was born in Calgary and then moved west and lived on the west coast and I've never really spent a lot of time in a place and in a community that practiced my family's original cultural teachings but I have a lot of teachings from different communities and different Indigenous nations from all the places that I've lived including Toronto and Vancouver and Victoria. So sometimes I feel bad about not having a home place and a home community, but other times I feel like, well, that's just who my family has been for at least the last 400 years. There was a term used in your film, Two Spirits, mm-hmm. which I'm familiar with, with different tribes in the U.S. Is that like something that crosses all the borders with different tribes? Is, does everyone have like a two-spirit thing? Well, I think in the tradition of like community activism in the early 90s, as far as I understand it, a group of queer Indigenous people got together and identified a shared need for a shared language to talk about our experience. And so this group of people came upon this idea of two-spiritedness, which expresses a kind of a general North American Indigenous approach to gender and sexuality. I've heard a few different versions of where the word two-spirited comes from and that originates from a couple of different languages. I don't know who's right on that score. But I do know this group of people came together and said, we need a label to identify ourselves, both to each other and also politically. And since then, that label has really been embraced by a lot of different communities all over North America. And I think it's been really effective, particularly in the last five years. There's been so much more media coverage of this community of people called two-spirited people. I was just wondering if it comes off an older tradition. And if if so, does that cross the different tribal boundaries? Without speaking about a specific nation and their specific traditions, there are a lot of different Indigenous nations across North America that have a very, very fluid approach to gender and sexuality and have different ways of referring to these people who are able to embody both this kind of male and female spirit, and that can involve having relationships with same-gendered partners, but it can also involve expressing gender in a completely different way. So it's a way of kind of embracing all of that stuff together. But there are specific traditions and specific teachings in all of these different nations. They do vary, but this kind of general idea of two-spiritedness seems to be something that is common amongst a lot of these nations. I'm not even sure... If Shane was gay or he was bisexual or he was sexually fluid, because he does have a girlfriend that he does sleep with. Yeah, I think Shane is gay or maybe bi. I mean, I haven't really identified where he is exactly on the spectrum. But I also think he's 17. He's just figuring it out. When I was 17, I had girlfriends that I slept with and 
if there's somebody offering to have sex with me, I don't care who they were. I would have had sex with them. I was a 17-year-old, you know, and I wasn't that concerned about pinning down who I was and what my sexuality was going to be. What did you learn during this movie? Just that I can do it. (laughs) As basic as that sounds, there were so many awful things happening during the production of this film. It was so hard on every level for everyone who was making the film. And every single day I felt like, oh, this is the day that it all falls apart and we just have to go home and we're not going to get to finish this film. And every day we managed to push through it. And at the end of it, I could not believe that we had made it through production. It was staggering to me. This has been a conversation with writer-director Adam Garrett-Jones. Find more information about his film Fire Song at wolfvideo.com. This is Steve Pry. Thanks for listening. You leave in the morning with everything you own in a little black cave. Alone on a platform, the wind and the rain in the sand. And thank you for that, Steve Pride. Now, it seems to me that if if the whole world were queer and intersex, we'd all get along a lot better because these stories seem to translate across every culture. Yes, absolutely. It almost makes culture vanish. Well, we were talking about this last week, that, that intersectionality, if there's one good thing I think that's come up this week is that we're really getting that we're all in it together. Okay, that's a struggle to call it a good thing, but yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think of the word good thing in the past week. But anyway, as we mentioned, Fire Song was just released on DVD, and we have three of them to give away. So if you would like one, please call us at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. Cleverly, those last four numbers spell KPFK. So after you call to ask for your DVD, we've got more to come. We will talk to Abby Land, the executive director of The Trevor Project. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Counting transgender Americans, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. A report released in June 2016 from the Williams Institute indicated that 0.6% of the U.S. population identifies as transgender. That equals 1.4 million adults, which is double the estimate that used data from roughly a decade ago. The report used data from the CDC's Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System to estimate the percentage and number of adults who identify as transgender nationally. Hawaii, Colorado, and New Mexico had the highest number of transgender citizens, with North Dakota, Iowa, and Wyoming having the lowest. Virginia ranked 24th, with 34,500 transgender citizens. The District of Columbia reported the highest percent of transgender-identified adults at 2.8%. It was no surprise that younger adults were more likely than older adults to identify as transgender. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Robin Bentley. Hi, I'm Chaz Bono, and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, out loud and proud since 1974. On KPFK-FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake, and streaming online at kpfk.org. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. 
Abby Land is the former mayor of WeHo, many-time former mayor of WeHo, and the executive director of the Trevor Project. And I was going to do a little blurb talking about Trevor, but I thought you'd do a better job than me. Tell us about Trevor. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on this evening. So the Trevor Project is a national organization, and we work to prevent suicide for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and questioning youth uh, up to 25. And so we have been around since 1998, and over those years have helped thousands upon thousands of youth who've reached out to us in often their darkest moment. And we do our services through a 24-7 lifeline that young people can call us from all across the country, as well as we have Trevor Chat seven days a week, and we have Trevor Text two days, soon to be three days a week. And what's and, Trevor text? And that's young people can text us when they're in crisis. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And there's a live person to text right back? You know, it. we have our counselors are available 24-7 for any way, Any way that you can connect with mm-hmm. people. Yeah. I mean, part of what we really try to do is make sure we meet youth where they are. And so though many, many youth actually reach out to us using the telephone in a very way. Uh, More and more youth obviously are, you know, on the computer. So we chat with them, instant messaging. And then so many more are texting uh, each Mm -hmm. other. You know, when um, you wouldn't think you would text about this, but many youth do text about it. So we have counselors that we train to be there for the young people. Huffington Post just reported that you guys are getting a real flood of calls since the election. We certainly have on an average day, if you would, uh, between our chat, text, and lifeline, we might get about 130 to 140 calls, which is really a lot. That is a lot. So that's a lot on a regular day. And the day following the election, in the two days following the election, we had almost, almost 700 what was the nature in. of the calls? Was it, you know, people experiencing um, stuff happening in their homes because of the election? Or did it just sort of raise the specter of this stuff? Or was it? Sure. The calls, the, what we heard over and over again from the uh, young folks that were reaching out to us was they're scared. Uh, there's this big question. What does it mean? You know, they listened for months to this political rhetoric where People were being told they were less than and not equal to, and suddenly now these people are going to be our president and our yeah. vice president. So they're scared. Uh, people called afraid to lose their rights, afraid of losing health care, of maybe having to go to conversion therapy. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of fear there. And and what sort of things could the Trevor Counselor offer? Because I know if a, a child had asked me, I just go, honey, I have no idea. I'm lost too. Well, you know, I have to say we have the most amazing staff and the most amazing volunteers because I think it's fair to say that the outcome of the election was a surprise to many. Mm. And although we are a nonprofit, we don't take a position in in an election, I think that many of our staff and volunteers were not happy with the outcome. But people put that aside and showed up to be there for all those youth that reached out to us. And what can we tell them to remember they're not alone, uh, to remind them that over over half of the voters actually voted a different way. In fact, the popular vote uh, was much more for the other candidate. Uh, and to remind them that, you know, we're all here and that they're special the way they are. And there's a whole lot of people out there fighting for them. And that, I think, is a really important message. 
at the Trevor Project in the days following the election, we had so many notes and cards, you know, from people reaching out to us from really all over the world, from 20 different countries, we got notes and support saying, we know the work you're doing is really important right now, and we want to make sure that you can be there for the young people. So we share that with them. We let them know they're not alone, that there's a lot of us there that are going to be there for them. Well, And, and what kind of training do your um, volunteers provide? Because I know when, when you hear the term volunteer, people think, oh, I'm going to show up and answer the phone. But it's a lot more than that. Thank you. It is, it is a lot more than that, because literally each and every one of our volunteers could be talking to someone who is whose life is at risk. So we have a very rigorous process. Uh, we have a very rigorous uh, interview process because not everyone can actually do this work. And if you make it through that, we have a training that's over 40 hours where you train and you learn all about the youth that are calling us, what their issues are, how to respond, how to be there in a crisis. So it's it's we are a fully accredited lifeline. We meet all the national standards. So thank you for asking that. I know many people want to help, uh, but we want to make sure that anyone that is coming to do our work um, on our lifeline, our chat, our text, or anywhere where they're volunteering, that they are totally trained and and able to be there for um, the young LGBTQ youth who reach out to us. Just because you had mentioned that your your calls for people interested in volunteering have have also gone up, Um, what, what would make a good volunteer? A good volunteer is someone who, first, that you really believe in our mission, and our mission is to end suicide for LGBTQ youth. One thing many people don't know is suicide is actually the second leading cause of death of all young people 10 to 24. So it's the second leading cause of death. But if you're gay, lesbian, or bisexual, you're three to four times more at risk for um, attempting suicide, and almost half of trans youth have have thought about suicide. So you really have to believe in our mission. You have to be compassionate. But the most important thing, I think, is you have to be willing to listen Mm. because really it's about listening and, and validating and letting someone, so many of our youth will say, you know, I finally feel like someone's listening to me. Now, how do you get your message out beyond our urban bubble, though? Because I, we take so many things for granted when we live in a big city. Mm. And if you're living in Kentucky, our, our favorite fallback state, it's like how, how do you let those <laughs> I have kids good people know? in Kentucky. I just want to be clear. That's, that's where so Steve, Steve comes from there. That's why we <laughs> like to mock There's it. good people everywhere. <laughs> they are. Um, but to your point, we actually get about um, over a third of our calls, chats, texts come from the South. Uh, we get the message out through many different ways. So we get our message out through networking with other groups. We get our message out. We do a lot of social media because um, that's so important. That's where most of the youth are. And then we use a lot of celebrities who do public service announcements for us, a lot of YouTube folks who really speak to the youth that are out there. So we are as creative as possible to, to get our message out. We just actually had a little billboard in, in Times Square Ooh. talking about the Trevor Project. So we, we use every opportunity, even tonight, you know, I will say that there's probably someone who is listening who will say, you know, I didn't know about the Trevor Project. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize there was a national line, like anyone can call 24-7, 365 days a year and talk to a trained counselor. I, I didn't know that existed. I, I'm going to tell somebody. 
Do you have that number off the top of your head? I do. Good, it's uh, 866-488-7386. That's 866-488-7386. And also to visit our website, thetrevorproject.org, because there is enormous amount of information there, uh, not only for young people, but for parents, for teachers. We do a lot of education. We have a wonderful workshop called the Lifeguard Workshop. The teachers can actually go right to our set, our site and get, get this digital digital version, teaching young people, middle school and high school, how to be lifeguards for each other, how to understand what the signs of suicide are, how to talk about it, how to reach out to an adult if you think a friend of yours is in trouble. And, you know, for any one of us, one person makes the difference. Really, one person can make a difference. And we're so trained to not want to talk about these issues. But if I think you're in trouble, I just say, are you thinking of taking your life, and that opens up such a space for you to begin to have a conversation about it. Something that surprised me about the Trevor Project that I learned a while ago is that while your mission is crisis intervention and suicide prevention, you will take calls really from anybody with kind of serious issues to discuss, questions, family members who are trying to understand. Yes, thank you for that. We certainly do. So, you know, we focus the bulk of our calls are on young people who are in crisis up, up to 25. But obviously, we talk to anyone. And we do get a number of parents who call. And certainly, even since this election, a number of parents have called, trying to understand what to even say to their children, you yeah. know, trying to understand that. And again, we have a lot of information on, on our website. And we encourage people to reach out, to call us. And, you know, Sometimes just talking through some of those issues makes a difference. But for young people who are specifically 13 to 24, we have something called Trevor Space. And Trevor Space, it's a like a Facebook-like community of LGBTQAIP young people. And it's really a community where you can go and suddenly you realize you're not alone, you know, because even sometimes when you're in the middle of Los Angeles, you think you're the only one, let alone when you might be in Kentucky in a very small town where literally you might not know anyone. So here you come on to Trevor Space. We have over 150,000 young people on wow. Trevor Space. And it is that place where you could talk, ask questions. And so you're not in crisis, but boy, you know, it's like I want to tell my mom I'm gay and I don't know what to do. And, you know, boy, you'll get a whole lot of folks telling you, do this, do, don't do that. <laughs> and so it's, it's a really wonderful place because we know that – it's really important to feel like you're part of a community. And, and you sort of police that you. site, too, to make That's, sure... That is monitored. We have volunteers who monitor that site. It's a safe site uh, that we ensure that it's safety. We make sure, too, if someone is really in crisis, that we can reach out to them so that they can talk to folks on our counseling line. One of the issues that I know can be the most challenging for a queer youth queer anybody, is religion and family religion. And I'm wondering how you navigate that because it's tempting to say, oh, well, that's wrong. You know, or, or if a religion says something bad about queer people, just say, well, that's just crazy. But it, it seems to me that you can't quite go there because they've got to deal with this at home. Well, you know, you, you, that's exactly right. And part of what we do, we're there to listen we're not there to pass judgment. Um, and, you know, religion is a really important thing in many people's lives. And just because you might be going to a church or temple or, or something where they're telling you something different, that's still your community. 
So, you know, we're there to listen and help figure out how to navigate that or find a place that might be more accepting and and welcoming. But we never, um, that's not our job, you know, because really a religion um, is a big protective factor for so many of us. And especially in certain communities, you know, kind of if, if oftentimes if you're in the South, you know, here in L.A. we'll say, hey, what do you do for a living? In the South, it's office. What church do you go to? Mm -hmm. You know, um, so we, we work very, very hard. We are not anti-religion at all, but we do work to help the youth figure out how to find their place. And if somebody calls and they've got an issue that's a little bit bigger than what the volunteer can handle on the phone, what sorts of places do you have? What resources are available that you can pass them off to? Sure. And um, a lot of, you know, we really are a crisis intervention uh, service. So you call us in the crisis. Mm-hmm. We are there for you. Uh, but we really try to help you find local resources. So we have an amazing, um, you know, um, directory, if you would, of, of resources throughout the country. And we work really hard to find that. And then many times, too, after we've spoken to a young person, it, it makes sense, you know, go to Trevor's Space, you know, meet a lot of other people and have a, a place to talk through some of the issues that aren't certainly, you know, at the crisis mode, but they're big, big issues. Do youth have a role as volunteers or mentors, or are they involved not just on the client side of the equation? Absolutely. We have a youth advisory council that we put together on an annual basis, and we just actually are going to um, rebring on people in in the new year, as well as we do a lot of focus groups with youth. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that the programs we are, are providing meet your needs. So we do a lot of focus groups. We have a whole lot of youth that we can reach out to and to ensure that, as I said, our goal is to always meet the youth where they are. Uh, and so though we might have some young people on staff, there's nothing like talking to the people that use our services to understand really what's important. And it seems like you do an offer so much. Where do you get that kind of funding? Well, the funding, that is a very good question. So we um, really, for the most part, it's individuals, it's corporations, it's foundations who support the Trevor Project. In fact, come December 4th here in L.A., we have Trevor Live. It's our biggest fundraiser. We hope to raise somewhere close to, please, a million dollars <laughs> for our services. A tidy uh, sum. Yes, exactly. And so um, it's uh, called Trevor Live, and it's great. We're going to be honoring uh, Kelly Osborne and uh, Ingrid Nilsson. And we have so many celebrities coming. And where is it? It's at the Beverly Hilton. And so you could go to uh, thetrevorproject.org and find out all about it. And again, it's called Trevor Live December 4th, Sunday, December 4th. It starts at 5 o'clock at the Beverly Hilton. And regular people can buy tickets to this? You know, regular people can buy (laughs) tickets. Richer, regular people can buy tables. <laughs> Richer tickets. <laughs> but it is a really wonderful... And we actually live stream this event. And I have to say, I think this might be one of the uh, first big LGBTQ events since the election. And I really want those young people That'll to see lots and lots of people that they know coming to support them. Because really, when you come to Trevor Live, you are supporting the young people that are reaching out to us, and you are letting them know they are not alone, that we're here, we're going to fight for them, we're going to fight to ensure that they have all the rights that they need, and that they really do have a brighter future. And you can see and be seen which is very important. Looking ahead, I don't know if the election has changed any of your sort of goals or strategies for the future, but is there anything that comes to mind, like where you feel like you need to go next? You know, that's a really good question. I think so many of us are trying to figure out 
what the impact of the election is. Uh, we're an organization, as I said, we're a nonprofit, so we're nonpartisan, and we often work. Um, the issue of suicide is something, it, it crosses party lines, yeah. uh, and nobody wants to see a young person lose their life. So we have to kind of figure out how to, how to maneuver, but I know that over the next few months, what we really have to make sure is that our young people, and I keep saying it because I mean it, we have to look at how we can keep getting the message out about the Trevor Project so they know that they can call the Trevor Project. And then we also want to, we do advocacy work. And this year in California, we passed legislation that mandates that middle and high school districts have suicide prevention policies that specifically call out those youth most at risk, including LGBTQ youth, homeless youth, foster care youth, and that was passed and signed by the governor. So we're going to see what other states might want to take on that legislation as well. So we've got a full plate ahead of us as we move into 2017 and kind of uncharted territory. But the Trevor Project's been around for almost 18 years through lots of different times, and we are going to continue to be there, and we're going to be there for our youth no matter what they need. And now, I have to ask the question that I've always wondered but never bothered to research. Does the name Trevor Project come from that adorable short film, Trevor? It does. It does. Okay, it does. good. It does. We were so lucky, those uh, folks, Peggy Reisky, James Lacine, and Randy Stone, when that film aired on HBO, they knew to have a number for young people to call, and that's how the Trevor Project became. Okay, and very quick, what is that number? The number to call is 866-488-7386. And the trevorproject.org. .org. Thank a you. Abby Land, Executive Director of the Trevor Project, thanks so much for joining us, and good luck with your work. Please come back. Thank you so much for having me. I know. It's an honor. You have done so much. I'm sitting in front of a goddess. I know. There's so much we could be asking you, but that's it for another time. Well, that is it for tonight, though. Our, our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer and tonight's director, Steve Pride, board op Federica Garcia, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Jed Proctor and Brian Burns. You can find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. We'll close with a song that has become a Thanksgiving tradition here at IMRU. You here is Stole My Land. Good night. This grudge can't last forever. Stole my land. So eat some turkey while it's still warm. Stole my land. Cause I've been here a while and you've been here a while. And together we can live in peace. So let's forget the past and all have a laugh while I chop down the rest of your trees. You stole my land. Greedy evil man. Yourself. Stuffing and cranberries inside Stole my land We'll share this smorgasbord together Stole my land I bet we both like pumpkin pie no. You came to the west with your germs and your death Brutalizing every woman and man Killed everyone in sight Cause you thought it's alright Now you're doing the same to this land You stole Selfish plan Killing anyone who's tanned You stole my land Destroyed the trees and the sea and the sand You just stole
can dwell on the past and we can fight now Or we can shake hands and be friends right now You can talk about the cause of your plight now Or sit down next to me and have a bite now We would have told you but you killed us, we're gone now That what you're doing to this land, it won't be long now Destroy the 